I am most certainly not a great rememberer of things. Yes, that was, it was. It's called irony. Welcome to Imagine Me in Utena, a revolutionary girl Utena podcast. I am Panda. I'm your host, and I'm here with my co-host Alice. How you doing, Alice? I'm doing pretty good tonight, actually, despite it being pretty crazy. Tonight we are here to, uh, well, it was supposed to be part two of our Evangelion Utena comparison series. But we couldn't manage to get that together. So we're going to go through some emails that we've gotten. And we're going to finally, after talking about it in two previous episodes and not actually doing it, we're going to thank some new patrons. And I'm going to, I put in some of our longtime patrons to thank as well, just because you know, we really appreciate you guys. And so this is just a bit of a housekeeping episode. It's kind of a filler episode. If you don't care about these emails that we've gotten, then that's fine. You can skip this episode. I won't. Oh, uh, hold on. It now. won't hurt my feelings. Anyone, everyone knows that the best episode of Dragon Ball Z was the filler episode where Goku gets his driving license. Yeah, this but is this is less a Goku gets his driver's license. And this is definitely Goku gets his driver's license. No, our Goku gets his driver's license was probably the first Empty Movement episodes. Yeah, actually, I can see that. This is more of our, uh, I don't remember enough Dragon Ball Z filler episodes to make this into a good joke. Sorry, guys, I'm a fake Dragon Ball Z girl. One of those 14 episodes where they're charging a spirit bomb again. Everybody's like, send Goku your energy for like four fucking episodes but anyway so yeah this is our housekeeping episode and do we want to start with patrons uh yeah i think we should okay um i think we should go back and forth reading names so like i'll start and then you read the next one and then i'll read the one after that and then we'll just go through the list sound good mm -hmm. yeah all right uh, we have uh three new patrons first jimothy jam our our producer donates to his own show. God bless. And well-known musical, I should add. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm only partially joking. Jimmy actually does music, and it's really great. Yeah, I guess I'll take a second. Since he does give us money, I'll give a second to... Wait, did he do the theme song for at least one of your podcasts? Yeah, since he does give us money, and he did do the theme song for one of my podcasts, I'll give him a shout-out here. That's hopefully not bad lib on SoundCloud.com is where you can find Jimmy's music, and he did uh, two different theme songs for my other podcast. One was technically a song that was already his that I started to use as my theme song, and then he wrote me a theme song, which was pretty great. So thanks, Jimmy. Okay, and our next is, I believe this is Jaren. Um, Jaren F. Jaren F. I think that's how you say it. If I say it wrong, feel free, please at me on Twitter that I might beg your forgiveness and also say your name right a bunch. Yeah, if we ever, if anybody, if we ever say your name wrong, please feel free to correct us because we just, we're just some country bumpkins who don't know how to talk right. 
Look, we're from Mississippi. Like, it's it's just gonna happen. There's only so much you can do. But also, uh, another new patron is uh, Veronica R. Thank you, Veronica. Thank you to all our new patrons, and especially to our longtime patrons, starting off with ABS, that's Ari, uh, who's been on the show before. Thank you, Ari. Abby M., and I'm assuming that's Abby Saysword. It is. That is Abby Saysword's Abby Says Words, who is also a frequent guest on the show. She's been on here like, what, like three times? She's a Imagine Me and Utena all-star. I'm going to see the Sailor Moon musical with her. <laughs> well, technically, I'm going to see it with Teresa, the co-host of my other podcast. But Abby is also going to be at that showing. Also, Abby is my, uh, Abby is their mini Utsuna players. Abby is my favorite. Abby is a very cute Utsuna cosplayer. I got to see her Utsuna cosplay in person. It was very a- good. Abby is, Abby is the perfect Utsuna. Thank you to our patron, Gray C, who has been our patron that I think was one of our very first patrons and is still a patron now. Thank you so much for your continued support. We really appreciate it. Jason? Um, not of the Argonauts. I Hopefully not the horror movie killer either, but I mean, I guess if it is, you know, we'll, we'll take it. Next one, Next one is Jeff, our good buddy Jeff, who's been on the show a few times and is going to be on an upcoming episode to talk about uh, a character episode for one of the characters from the Utena Sega Saturn game. I'm very excited Which about is, that. It's just really great. Um, they've been doing Let's Play on that. Um, yeah, they did like a whole. I think they did every route. I'm sure they'll listen to this and they'll yeah tell they me they did every they did every route as far as as I understand it. And apparently, it's really fun. Um, what I've seen of what I've seen of their let's plays in general, uh, the stuff that they post is just really great. I um, recently acquired a physical copy of the Uthena Sega Saturn game. In very good condition. It's very nice. Hell yes. Which, uh, we got, in, in oh. case he hears this and doesn't hear me credit him, was found for me by producer Jimmy when we were at Anime NYC. Yeah, it, w- it went on the Imagine Utena, me and Utena, um, the Imagine Me and Utena account as a business expense. Oh, yeah, I put that one down as a business expense. You think I can put that big print that I got as a business expense? You know what? I mean, look, if, if we put in enough pictures on the podcast... <laughs> Um, Katie V is also up here. Yeah. Katie's been a patron for a long time. Thank you so much, Katie. Matthew M. Thank you, Matthew. And finally, but not least, Terry B. I assume that's short for Terry Bratchett. <laughs> no, actually, Terry is, uh, Terry is a great patron of ours and is going to be on an upcoming episode that we have not scheduled yet, but I'm very excited to get to talk to them about uh utina because we've had we've exchanged some emails back and forth about coming on the show but thank you to all of our patrons we mm-hmm. we would still do this without you but it would be a lot harder trust me and we really appreciate you guys like it has been it's kind of not it's kind of still weird in a good way for to think that we have actual patrons and that they've been or a lot of some of them have been around and that's really great we really appreciate you guys yeah honestly like i i can't overstate it like you guys are great and you put up with our occasional hiatuses and inconsistent uploads 
And I'm sorry that I'm not better at doing this, but scheduling is hard and maybe someday I'll have a consistent upload schedule forever. All right. You want to get the emails? Yeah, I guess it's email time. The, <laughs> the document that I made says email time. With like, there are at least five exclamation marks, which means it's, it's serious email time. Yeah. It's like super email time. Why don't you get the first one? Okay, yeah, I can get the first one. Um, these emails are all from um a listener named Hannah who has been sending us emails while she's been listening through episodes. And I ended up only um I missed the first couple of these emails, so I didn't start seeing that she had been emailing <coughs> us until about her third email. And then I kept meaning to reply, but then I, um, I never did. And so I wanted to take this episode or at least part of it to address some of these emails because there's actually a lot of really good stuff in here and it deserves talking about, but I felt like it would also be a disservice to just respond in email when we could like you know bring that discussion to the podcast so we'll start off this uh this email in particular is a response to episode seven and i I, when we read these i'm gonna skip the we're gonna skip the thank you for your podcast and still enjoying listening because reading that feels self-indulgent in a way that i don't like but well, we do appreciate it. We do appreciate it, but uh, we're just gonna uh, sort if of you're out there. We're gonna leave it out of the reading of this for this episode. But uh, regarding episode seven, I just started listening to Imagine Me and Newton this morning, and I'm on episode seven already. I'm home with my newborn on maternity leave, so it's been fantastic for entertaining myself while breastfeeding and changing diapers 24 seven. You have our sympathy. <laughs> It's been years and years since I watched these episodes, but I can still vividly picture pretty much every scene you describe. RGU was one of the defining influences of my teenage years, and this podcast is bringing back so many important memories of high school. Regarding Jury slapping Anthe for giving her an orange rose in episode 7, I think Jury was responding in anger because Anthe was deliberately pushing Jury's most sensitive button. I think we didn't really catch that when we did this episode the first time around especially because you didn't know as much about Anthe then but it's pretty spot on like I think we can agree uh-huh. that Anthe was deliberately trying to push at Jury's buttons when she did that yeah absolutely like you you've arrived at the point already that took us a little bit to get to but the, that I, I feel like we've kind of come around to that time that scene nowadays yeah because i mean you know we've done plenty of talking about like anthe's malice etc etc which once again we recommend reading yes please read anthe's malice which you can find on empty movements website but uh back to the email anthe knew that the most painful traumatic memory of jury's life was of a soft-spoken purple-haired girl giving her an orange rose so anthe recreated that scene to rile jury up and manipulate jury into challenging utna to a duel Jury is one of the few characters with enough of a grasp of su- on subtlety to understand she was being deliberately insulted, so she slapped Anthe. I feel like there are a lot of scenes in the show where Anthe gets in subtle digs at the other characters. I'm pretty sure all the bizarre things that happened to Naname throughout the show are just Anthe exhibiting a weird sense of humor. 
Absolutely. That's one of my favorite things about Anthe is when she's fucking with Naname. (laughs) Yeah, like, uh, we've talked about this aspect, but, like, I still kind of believe to some extent that her fucking around with Naname, uh, I always say her name wrong. Um, It's, it's like, it's, I think it's the, weirdly, it's the, one of the least malicious things she does, because even though she causes her so much grief, it's kind of just an actual joke and not i am deliberately pulling all the darkest past like i'm mostly it's mostly i'm fucking with you because it's fun and also i'm powerless this is literally the only control i have yeah i mean like it's malicious but it's not like it's not it's it's not malicious in the sense of irreversible harm to you yeah or trying to like get she's not trying to pull Naname into some grand scheme. She's just like it's. It's like to quote, it's just a break, bro. <laughs> She's almost entirely powerless throughout the series, but the one option she has to entertain herself is to mess with Naname's head by filling her desk drawer with mongooses or convincing Naname she's laid an egg. I do. We think that the egg thing was Anthe's fault. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I say yes, specifically because. How the fuck else? I mean, it could have been Choo Choo acting independently of Anthe. We, well, I mean, first off, it's canonical that Choo Choo is just an extension of, of, of Anthe's will as her familiar. I don't, I don't know that that is canonical, Alice. Choo Choo is just, I mean, it, it is explicitly stated that Choo Choo is just Anthe's in run wild. Okay. I'm pretty sure that that was an episode. There was a whole episode about it. Okay. <laughs> no, but yeah, like I mean, it could be, but I feel like saying that it is Anthe is honestly funnier. It's the funniest explanation that there could be, and that alone kind of convinced me. You're not wrong. After Mickey loses his first duel to Utena, Anthe says, but we can still be study partners to him. You, that means us, interpreted this as a genuine expression of sweetness and kindness on Anthe's part, but I disagree, and you're probably right. Mickey's devastated because he just lost this girl he had a crush on, who also represented his hopes of reconciling with his sister. Anthe being all, but at least we can still be friends, just rubs salt in the wound. Anthe also does this with Seonji and Utena when they lose their duels and she rubs in their faces the fact that they've gone from Sama to Senpai. Yeah, you're right. I actually think (laughs) about Anthe saying, like, Seonji classmate, like, all the time. (laughs) God, that just did not translate well. No, but I also just think about, like, and not even just because it's a bad translation, but also just because of the burn. Yeah, this this is probably accurate. Like, I was naive about Andy at that point, and looking back, that was definitely a dig. Now, she does, later on, like, seem to accept his presence with, with no real mouse in it. Like, because they actually do end up being study partners. Um... But in that moment, the yeah, I, I, I think that's probably that that is definitely the motivation. Does Anthe do these things because the power to hurt people is the only power she has? Because she's got a really sadistic sense of humor? Because the end of the world wants her to keep everyone upset and bitter to make them easier to manipulate? I assume a mixture of all three. Yeah, Ooh. I mean, I don't, I don't know so much about the end of the world thing. I think that I think some of 
Anthe messing with people is probably, like, under Akio's desires. But, like, for the most part, I think this is just her sort of petty way of exerting control on the world around her in which she, for the most part, has relatively little control. And those aren't mutually exclusive either. Like, there, I, I get the sense that, like, Akio's sort of command is you need they need to fight and they need to duel and this all of this needs to happen but anthony deliberately chooses to do it in the way that she does because i think yeah like her only real power is kind of hurting these people and also yeah she does kind of have a statistics um i mean she didn't have to get um jury to fight in that way she chose to because it was expedient and also because she could twist the knife in and that's really satisfying it's her only option to make any impact on other people yeah all right we can move on to the next email which i believe is your turn episode nine now that you've seen the entire series what do you make of episode nine here's the timeline as i see it <laughs> oh alice you imagine, love like, timelines imagine some dramatic music as the camera centers on me as i say the word timeline and the like stretches out time <laughs> all right say childhood seonji and toga find the girl in the toga convinces seonji they should leave her alone the prince or dios convinces utsuna to leave the coffin by giving her the ring seonji wakes up next morning and finds the girls left the coffin he assumes that toga did it all right the scans otori academy seonji and toga start school at otori academy and become student council members Implying that they weren't born student counselors. Anthony a makes a comment. student council member at birth. Yes. Anthony makes... I'm, I'm sorry. As an aside, I would <laughs> anyway. never do jokes. Anthony makes a comment that appears casual, but is actually carefully calculated to pique Seonji's interest in the castle as a place where something eternal can be obtained. Toga is in bed, sometimes literally, with the end of the world, who sends them on missions to manipulate other characters with the promise of a share and the power to revolutionize the world. In something eternal. Or maybe he's already working for Akio as eternal, even. We'll, we'll come back to that. He seemed yeah, to understand let's put a more pin about in the, that. Yeah, let's put a pin in that. He seemed to understand more about the confidence in Seoji, which also put in that. Toga hears about Utsuna's prince, probably from overhearing things Utsuna says about him, but probably also from Akio, who tells Toga how to manipulate Utsuna so she can beat her. He can beat her in a duel. Toga poses as Utsuna's prince. Akio sets emotions, the events that get Seonji expelled. Okay. Seonji gets a letter from Akio, or from Toga at Akio's command, which is basically the same thing, saying he needs to take Anthe to the castle in the forest. Toga calls Utsuna and tells her Seonji is getting Anthe. She needs to go to the castle. Someone who is in, in on the plan knocks Seonji out. But who? Toga. It could be Anthe. It could even just be Akio himself. I have wondered who it is that knocks Seonji out during that episode. Akio drops the castle on them. Seonji is buried in rubble, confirming that he has been rejected and lost out on Anthony once again. Womp womp. Utsuna manages to save Anthe, confirming that she is Akio's chosen champion. Seonji loses it and attacks Utsuna and is expelled, which sets up Wakuba's storyline in the Black Rose arc, where she finds him in her dorm room. Toga leaps to Utsuna's defense, as planned, thus providing, or maybe not quite planned, thus providing further evidence that he is her which allows him to defeat her in later duel. So if I'm understanding this, um, sort of the, because there's a case being made here. Um, yes. Essentially is that the, the case here is that Akio is in complete control of 
most of the major like plot, real like plot plot elements. Like that Akio, like the entire thing with Ethan is a, an elaborate Xanatos gambit kind of thing where Akio is to sort of figure out exactly what he needs to do to confirm that Uthna is sort of the one this cycle. I mean, that makes sense. It would make a lot of sense of what the hell is going on. Because, like, I mean, it's, it's an awesome episode and I love it. I love it every single time. But, like, what the hell is going on? It is rather strange. But yeah, I think it does point towards there being Akio influence throughout things. Why? I don't really, I still don't really entirely know, but. So like, I mean, I can kind of see the the idea here, specifically with the sort of trial of the Fallen Castle, if you will. It is sort of a, at this point, you could imagine Akio, yeah, is probably the one of this cycle. But he wants to be sure that Utsu is really the one that's going to get him what he wants. So he he figures out how to test her, and Seoji just gets caught up in it, also being tested because he you know he's there, and unsurprisingly Seoji fails miserably, but Utsuna succeeds in the way ways that he was hoping, and that she makes it quote unquote yeah, thus confirming yeah Utsuna is the one. Anthony needs to keep her in the game because otherwise she probably would have bailed. She would have figured a way to worm out of it, like she would have stopped taking duels eventually, maybe yeah maybe, but after this point she's unable to leave like this is kind of this was the last point at which she could bail um for that matter by the way someone who was on the plan knocks sanji out i'm thinking anthony i think i think he brought anthony there and then anthony's like yep you you were useful snaps her fingers and just magics and magics and down honestly that makes the most sense like i said i've i have wondered for a while who it was but like it was probably anthony it doesn't really make yeah. sense for it to be anyone else. I mean, it could be Toga, but Anthony is probably capable of magicking Seoji into, like, next Friday. So why would he need to get I involved? just doubt that it would be Toga. It's a little brutish for Toga. That's what I was thinking. Toga's not not so brute, brutish. But we were going to go back to the whole idea of... Uh, yes. This idea, like, when exactly did Toga start working with Akio? I have to imagine at some point... Like, once he started going to Otori, I mean, I don't know, like... May I present to you an idea I'm not sure is supported by the text itself, but is interesting to think about. Sure. So, we know that the prince, when the prince approached Utena, that was Dios. Yes. That was a last vestigial shadow of Dios. A kind of a, a dying gasp, if you um, a revenant of Dios. And by the time we get to him, it's all Aki. There's there's nothing but Akio. Dios is a weird memory that we know almost nothing about in the anime, but that we actually get a decent amount of genuine we we get a surprising amount of genuine characterization of him. He's Dios seems to be wandering the earth, basically just doing good shit. Could could it be possible that he saw more people than just just Uthra? That maybe he saw a young Toga. That he could have interacted with a young Toga. And he has I, a a pocket full of Rosecrest rings, and he gave well, one to Toga too. Well, less a pocket full of them, and more that because the the Rosecrest rings, where when when did they get those? I believe it's implied that they got them at the school because like yeah. they talk about them being a student council thing yeah they talk about them being i was a student just council. making a dumb joke yeah i know um 
but like, yeah, it's, it's important that they kind of got them at school. That like, there's this idea that you know they probably just got them along with the mysterious letter. But I, the idea that Toga might have been had some kind of interaction with that sort of shadow of Dios, or perhaps a darker idea that Toga had a an experience in, in like an interaction, a brief interaction with Akio after Dios is gone completely is interesting to me because it would actually explain a lot about him um it explain a lot about how he's able to be so much in akio's because he hasn't been at the school that long and akio is basically like he's he's you're my lieutenant more or less well we don't know how long they've been there oh i mean that is true we start in media res and they're just at the school we have no idea how long they've been there and we all know that Otori is actually a hell. Well, I mean, yeah, it like aside from the fact that Otori is timeless, like we don't know if like they were supposed to be there from like a younger age. We don't know what the age range is at Otori. There are plenty of there there are schools in Japan that do like, you know, like kindergarten through like high school. Oh, so you're thinking that he could have encountered Akio at school, but it was much it could have been at really any point because it might be one of those schools that has like a elementary school. I'm just saying, like, we don't know how long they've yeah. been there. That's actually a really good point. Like, I, I think that's actually and I, I, a really good point. Is like because there that is a thing that it, that you have schools that have like a middle school and a high school kind of right next to each other, and Otori is kind of nebulous, and they do kind of feel like they've just kind of always been there. That maybe they have, like maybe that. Maybe this really is where they grew up because this they've gone to the same academy like their whole high school, their whole school. It's possible. And we don't like, know. I'm yeah, sure somebody's going to write in and correct us with some sort of like niche information. Uh, but I crave their lore. <laughs> All right. Episode 23, you're up. Okay. Regarding episode 23, I read a blog entry, mumble mumble, years ago that theorized that Mikage was a failed precursor to Utena. Akio and Anthe have been trying for hundreds, thousands of years to unlock Dios' power, and the iteration before Utena and the Duelist was Mikage and the researchers. Mikage made some progress towards unlocking eternity. He says he managed to get the castle to appear, but ultimately failed. Perhaps, like so many of the duelists, his motivations were impure. He couldn't stay focused on his goal of saving Mamiya because he kept getting distracted by Tokiko. That would explain why Mikage also had pink hair, why he knew about the duels but all his duelist roses were dead, why his story recapitulated Utena's in many respects. Otori meets Phoenix. Oh, I didn't know that. So I think we can assume- really? Apparently- I mean, I could Google it. No, I, I believe it. Just that's wild. That is really wild. Like that's actually startling information, which I. Let's see. Do the lore. Do the lore. This is this is lore corner. Brought. Oh. Yes. The school has a phoenix crest. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Otori can mean phoenix. So that's neat. We didn't know that. I just realized though, because like the the crest is vaguely bird bird like. The what? Okay, so... No, you just broke up for a second. Oh, sorry. So, peel away the curtain slightly. Um, Scarlet is listening in because she's here, and she just told me that um, the school has a phoenix crest that I didn't really get as a phoenix because it is a little abstract. 
if I recall. And um, she just informed me of that, and that would actually make a lot of sense if that is the crest. Yeah. Huh. Hmm. That's I'll wild. That. But yeah, Otori means Phoenix, so I think we can assume Akio and Anthe have been on their quest for Dios's power for a very long time. I also think that's just sort of implied throughout the the lore of the story is that like they've clearly been doing this for a very long time. But yeah, the Otori thing uh, sort of drives that point home. It also makes me wonder who Anthe really is. Was she Mamiya in Mikage's story? Is her current appearance her real appearance or just another form she's taken on to lure in another round of contestants for Dio's power? That? That is an interesting query, Alice. What I if that's been... not what she looks like? Wait, what? Like, what if, like, is Anthe's appearance the way that she looks? Like, is that what she really looks like? Or is that what she has, is that the appearance that she has put on in order to lure in more duelists? First, that is kind of spooky. Well, because um, she made herself look like Mamiya for the Black yeah, Rose it, arc. It, it also, like, um, Nikki and Kozue, um, yeah, Nikki and Kozue's mom. Yeah. Um, okay, this is really dumb. Forgive me. But all I can think about right now is, what if Anthe was the prince just, like, doing Akio's will? I don't think that that holds up, but it would be interesting. It doesn't, but like that is that that is that is like big galaxy brain. That's like some galaxy brain shit there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, jeez. Yeah, like I personally, I I don't think that Anthe's current form is an illusion. Uh, It pretty closely resembles the version we see of her in the flashback but like i do love this concept of like maybe this isn't even the real anthe i mean even if this is her original form and face i mean we don't know because like dios visited so the timeline is weird and like god only knows what the cycle actually like cycle which i think is I think you think it is. Um, what does it even look like? Is it just the duels? Is there more to it? Like, is there a point at which, like, I mean, there's a lot of questions. And while we have said before, you know, like, if you're when you go into it, you need to be aware that there's a lot of red herrings. There's a lot of noise to sound ratio. Yeah. When you're not looking at those things, like this kind of stuff is fun to just like poke at for eternity, there's, which is there's maybe, just so perhaps, much there. Yeah, which is maybe perhaps interesting that Makage is mentioned in this because Makage would be the kind of person who would do that, who would just poke at all of this kind of stuff forever and never and kind of ignore the actual. Well, he was a scientist. Yeah, um, I'm so blown away by the Otori Phoenix. Yeah, the Otori meaning Phoenix thing is so wild. I do think that the original Mummia mom, mom, was not. I don't think that was Anthony. No, and I don't think so either. And the second one obviously is, but the first one, I don't think so. No, because, like, I think <clears throat> I think it establishes pretty well that, like, the old Mamiya was unrelated. And, um, interestingly, the, like, people commented on this idea that, like, why is the Black even here? Like, what is going on? And I feel like the, the point of it is that, it, it, first off, like, structurally it's it's an antithesis like the thesis of the first arc is answered by the second arc like they're they're a call and response 
and where the first one has shown us these very broad strokes where there's this sort of like positive progressive like things building on each other um in really obvious ways the second arc is all about like well actually no everyone's this is not just people understanding themselves like these people let's show you all how just fucked up um but also mikage yeah was definitely a precursor he was one who almost got it did but then fails in the last moment and i think he i think honestly like that they just sort of like kept him around as a sort of a um a curiosity they drag him back out of where he is for just this because if anyone could test Uzna, it would be i think that's a solid theory yeah the makake is actually just like in their their camera space somewhere <laughs> like some kind of terrible sad ghost Aww. which is kind of depressing but like i feel like it's it's not entirely unsupported i mean there's there's so much weird shit going okay there really is the black rose arc is wild and with the under with the underground sort of like the weird non-euclidean geometry shit with the whole building like i feel like maybe he isn't real in the sense that he's still alive but it's more like this guy was this guy died and they just sort of like decided to nab his soul for safekeeping because you know he might be useful yeah so episode 20 re-episode regarding episode 34 oh no the 26 ones oh i think i accidentally scrolled down too far sorry <laughs> why did kazue kiss Andy during oh boy um the Wait, way yeah, I oh, hold on could you repeat that um why did kazue kiss Andy during vicky's final duel because oh lesbians and Ikahara. That's where it begins, but I have some thoughts on that. The way I interpret it, Kozue has been a series because Mickey refuses to hear oh, yes, yes. Mickey think, thinks she is a piano prodigy. She insists she's just average at best, and he was the one who was the brilliant musician. Mickey thinks she's sweet, innocent, young sister. She's growing up and discovering boys and partying. Um, so throughout the series, she's rubbing her new face see the real me mickey i smoke i stay out late i sleep around she kisses anthony during the duel to show mickey one time that she's not the perfect person he sees in his memories of the sunlit garden i'm gonna steal the girl you like too miss steal your girl in the end mickey chooses to hold on to illusion face reality he loses the duel and she calls him a coward by the end of the series she has just has to reconcile herself to the fact that he may never truly get her and he reconciles himself to the fact that the sweet innocent girl of his memories doesn't exist anymore. Um, yeah, it's it's a sad episode just all around, really. There is no bright spot in that episode. It is it is unbelievable. Like it, it's it's like this it it it's Wolf's Rain levels of bleak. Um, but yeah, like that the kiss really is just like another twist of the knife yeah i mean that that's probably the best reading of that moment like it's it's a lot of things at once it's transgressory in the sense that as you have so succinctly summed up lesbians because of ziguhara <laughs> it's it's vengeful in the sense that i know that you liked her that you probably still do i'm doing this to just to fuck with you as well as it is a little bit of a 
like you need to wake up and realize that I'm not thought you were. And if you can figure that out, maybe we can have some kind of relationship instead of you just like chasing the ghost and like in a single action, which is kind of cool, but it's, it's funny. Cause like they have this thing, this dynamic where neither of them can really figure the other one out. They can't really communicate in any way. Comes away, does a lot of things to some extent because she is trying to find any way to not the like art. It doesn't really necessarily have to do with the fact that she has to be that. Like there's a sense where she does some, she does like things like chase boys around the touring, not because she's actually interested in them so much as it is a way to escape the garden. Whereas Mickey has clung to the garden because it's like he doesn't have anything else. And instead of trying to stumble around in the darkness, finding something, He's chosen to cling to the only thing, the only point which which he was really happy. And both of those are really tragic because Kozue doesn't know where she's going and Mickey doesn't know anything else. They don't, neither of them are really good off at the end of it. Like at the end of it, she calls him a coward and she's right, but she's also not right. Like she, all she's really managed to do him out of to be with her, but she's in kind of in limbo. She's not really anywhere, which is kind of the same as Tia. He can't go back anymore. The The garden is kind of gone. But she's but he doesn't have anything left. He doesn't understand what's outside of it. He's deliberately tried not. And she doesn't know how to explain it to him. She can't. They just speak a different language. Yeah. And it's it's a destructive thing. Like it's intended to be a like a constructive thing in the sense that I am trying to reclaim this relationship, holding it, but it just—it's destructive. Every, everyone loses. What a sad anime we've hitched ourselves to. We'll do it again and again. Do it for her. No. All right. Um, I want to do the Sarah's and my email. So you do this next one, and then I'll do the one after it. All right. Episode 34. In episode 34, we see two different perspectives on Anthony's backstory. I like to interpret it as the world's version of events and Anthony's version of events. That's very fair. According to the world, a girl can either be a princess or a witch, as you pointed out the Madonna horror complex. When Anthony defies the world to save Dios, she is breaking the world's rule. A woman must be meekly and quietly submit to the expectations of society for her. She must never resist, and thus she was turned into a witch and hatred. In reality, Anthony was only acting to save her brother. She knew if she kept pushing him, if he if he kept push, pushing himself too hard, he would work himself to death. So she hid him away and refused to let anyone near him, no matter how much everyone attacked her for. Locked away in the castle, Dios became something dark and twisted. Akio. Akio took the world's side and he blamed Anthony for all of his problems. In the end, Anthony came to believe in the world's story herself. She believed she deserved to be the Rose Bride. She deserved to suffer and be assaulted by Akio to impasse around the student council. After all, the entire world can't be wrong, can it? She was a fallen woman, a witch, so surely she was getting what was coming to her, which is bleak. In the end, Anthony has to unlearn the world side of the story and regain her own value as a human being. She had to reject the Madonna Whore complex and allow herself to be a flawed value. Um, yeah, I think I think this is mostly right. Yeah, like, this is pretty spot on, and I think that we kind of went over that when we talked about the episode, 
because we talked about like the I don't know if we went into that or maybe like we have talked about it since then but like we've talked about how like how very different the two versions are and why we think that is and this interpretation of it being Anthe's version versus the world's version is uh it's a pretty succinct way of summing it up um as a kind of a corollary to this, anyone listening uh who's made it this far um if you are if you like youtube there's a guy there called youtube who did a episode on um what was the name of that youtube uh philosophy tube um he did an episode on hegel's um idea of how like personhood works and how we kind of only understand ourselves by other people seeing us and i think if you have the time it's, it's it'd be worth it to watch that and come back to anthe and realize that a lot of anthe's story is wrapped up in what hegel's interpreters call this sort of master slave master slave dialect where there's only two things you can be and that's it you can either be the princess or a witch you can either be master or servant you can either be good or bad and if you cannot be good then you must bad where good is very narrowly defined single and almost inhuman state of and that's kind of what anthe's whole thing is anthe isn't anthe didn't do anything wrong she just did things that other people don't she just did what she just did things that other people don't you cut out at the exact same time you did the previous time she didn't do anything anthe didn't do anything wrong she just did things that other people don't like yeah and in a, in, a, in a world that clings to that dialectic, that's all you have to do to be evil. It kind of reminds me of, there's an episode of the Powerpuff Girls where, like, they're, like, fixing everybody's problems and then everybody gets really dependent on them and then they get really fed up with it. I don't know if you've seen that episode of Powerpuff Girls. I remember it, actually. Yeah. I don't remember it's, it's how a- that got resolved. It's a common trope, actually. Like in any any time when you have a character that has the capability of fixing everyone's any of fixing problems, you will inevitably have an episode or a part of the story where everyone needs them to do everything, and that character either just can't take it anymore, or someone else stops them from saving everything. And there is this sort of lesson of it's very important to help people, but not at the cost of for you. That there is a kind of there has to be some kind of relation between you and other people. Yeah, and that's what Anthe does. That's like that's a lot of Anthe's character. The whole reason she's in this mess is because she refused to let her brother's self and her own self just be subsumed by other people's needs and desires, and she lost everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's so sad. It's so sad. All right. Sarah's on my episode email. Sarah something or other. Regarding the Sarah's on my episode, you mentioned Heraclitus and the theory that you are... I pronounced that wrong, didn't I? No, you got it right, actually. Oh, hell yeah. You mentioned Heraclitus and the theory that you can only cross a river once. The idea of treasuring the moment because it can only be... Because it can only 
come once is very prevalent in wabi-sabi, the Japanese aesthetic. For example, the cherry blossom is so important to Japanese culture because it is transient and just to be savored for the few days it lasts before it withers away. There's a common four-character compound in Japanese. Oh, man. Okay. Ichigo, ichi Yeah. Ichigo, ichi e. One time, one meeting. That sums up this philosophy. You see it on pillowcases and wall hangings, etc. The kind of like the Japanese equivalent of the serenity prayer, reminding you to take the time to savor the world around you and the people you spend time with, because you can never return to this exact moment ever again. That's neat. I didn't know about that. Alice, did you know about that? I did not, actually. Um, I feel like I had heard the term wabi-sabi before, but like I didn't really have any context. I've never heard of that, and that's that's really interesting. It like, sounded really familiar to me. It's funny to me. That... Oh, wabi sabi is the. Uh... Hold on, what were you gonna say, Alice? I was gonna say it's funny to me that that's the. Um, well, you got Heraclitus uh, or Heraclitus. I'm not actually sure which one of those. Correct. I've heard both. Um, because that's a really positive spin on what is a kind of a not positive philosophy the there he was making two points there one he was making a really esoteric point of the nature of matter and reality but two the the real point was that nothing lasts and not in a sort of you should savor it kind of way but more in a like nothing you do kind of matters yeah that anything that you build will inevitably be destroyed. that not so much that you know things are fleeting and, and beautiful that's beautiful but sort of a everything is kind of garbage and the only thing and nothing really makes any 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 of our attempts to figure out what anything means are inherently sort of doomed hmm. the world will be different tomorrow it sure will buddy i like your version better Anna. <laughs> all right and that brings us to regarding episode 38. You mentioned you don't understand Kozo's series, but I found her really easy to empathize with. I've discovered that I am very much in my own. Mickey is a sweet kid, but sorry, Alice. He's a bit of a nosy stick in the mud. I mean, duh. It's true. If my brother can't couldn't figure out that I wasn't a sweet and innocent anymore, I'd probably rebel too. Get a bunch of tattoos or become a goth or something just to piss him off. Hell yeah. Which ties into the central message of the show, at least as I see it. Everyone is stuck in the Otoro world because they refuse to admit the cause of the problems is themselves. And they keep blaming and trying to change other people. Mickey refuses to admit his sister is growing up. Uthana wants Anthony to stop being the rose and stand up for him. Toga wants power over others. Nanami wants her brother's attention, etc. <clears throat> Sorry for my voice, by the way. Usuna escapes when she gives up on trying to change Anne and finally sees her for who she truly is. Nanami also manages to escape by giving up trying to manipulate others anymore because she's too good for that shit. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you mentioned Mickey and his sister because again, like, they kind of both do that. They, they're they see their problems being each other. When in reality, their problems are very much Mickey's obsession with getting back to this perfect place, which he needs his sister to do, is delusion. Absolutely. And I guess I should probably say also, one of the reasons 
don't really give Cosway or Shiori for that matter. And it's because I am kind of a, I've always been sort of a, a goody two shoes. No. Um, I know, it's shocking, right? I'm um, so shocked. I was like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I was always kind of the, the gentle giant in the background who never said anything. So any character who is aggressive in any way, even if it's passive aggressive, is always going to be a little... I can see that. Yeah, and so I can understand that, obviously, but it takes a little more effort because it's a very foreign mindset because just my experiences, my experiences, which is which is always a hazard when kind of analyzing anything. Um, it's easy to read oneself into something that does not continue. Continuing with email... Have you ever thought of the theme song as a recapage, re- recapitulation of the series? Usna and Anthony meet. They have sexual tension. Usna fights people. She has the final showdown with her prince. And in the end, she's left. How deliberate are the parallels between the opening theme and the series? Thank Whoa. I never thought of this that way before. But like. Really? I mean, that's a good point. And no, I guess I had never thought of it that way before. Yeah. Like, I just, I mean. Yeah, like, the opening to Uthana, to me, was, like, straight up just, like, we're going to tell you the entire emotional arc. I'm too busy jamming out. That is very fair and valid, and I'm, I'm validating. The Uthana theme slaps. It does. All the music in Uthana is good. It's so um, good. Japanese translation note. Da-da-da. The Kakume, I think, is of the title Shoujo Kakume Uthana, refers exclusively to a political social revolution. Not the scientific kind of revolution involving one planetary or rotating another. So it doesn't have quite the same pun potential in Japanese as it does in English. I am very glad to know that. I assumed that it was, and I'm glad to be vindicated. Yeah, I think we've talked about it also being like a revolution of planetary bodies, but like, I think that was in a Geo episode because Geo likes planets. I mean, they are, they are big and impressive. It's true. Um, it is true. But yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. Uh, so that's neat. I like that actually. I have I have thoughts about that. I don't know. Alice's Marxist analysis of of Revolutionary Girl is a win. Really, win. I mean, I could do it actually. I could do that really easy. Do it, coward. Right here and now, or. I mean, we could do like an episode on it if you wanted. I will see what I can do. Actually, if it's worth, we can do that. Hell yeah. I mean, I, I I liked dabbling in lots of different theory when I was still in English doing English literature stuff. So I would I would be down to look at Utsuna through various theory lenses. All right, we have one more email. Our last email is an episode idea. What if you read Herman Hesse's Demian and discussed how it was a major influence on Utsuna? I'd be also be interested to hear your take on symbolism of color, song lyrics, names, etc. in the show. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to read Damien. However, comma. However. I will make this pitch. If any, if people want, if anybody wants me to, literally anybody, I will read Damien. I will fit, I will write up, I'll do a whole write up on it. And either I, we will record that together or I can record it by myself and I will talk about it. If anyone asks. If you want to do, uh, if you want to do like a write up about it, we'll, we can put it on the Patreon. That would be interesting, actually. Yeah, um, I'll keep that in mind. Yeah, I'll I'll think about Damien. It's a 
it's a minor work, but it is it is somewhat significant. And um, I've heard it's actually worth reading, um, at least as a curiosity. So yeah, I'll think about that. Have you not read it? I've not. Oh, I guess I just assume you had because you whipped that reference out on our very first episode. Yeah, I um I recognized it from Damien mostly because Damien's one of those books where like nobody's ever fucking read it, but everybody knows a handful of lines from it. Okay. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like oh, there are just some books that no one's ever read, but everybody knows some line or two. Um Damien's one of those. And that's specifically know is is the the head the egg the hit chick breaking the shell of the egg. Well I had never heard it before Utana. I don't run in the same kind of nerd circles you do. Yeah, we were very different nerd circles. But yeah, I'm not going to read Damien. Um, sorry. I just, I don't have the time and reading is hard. If we get to $100 of Patreon, make find some elaborate scheme to force her to read Damien. I pledge this on my honor. If we make $100 on Patreon, Alice will read Damien to me. <laughs> I, will, I, will, I will destroy my voice making a long, long reading of it. That is our promise to you. But yeah, those are our emails. Thank you, Hannah, for all your emails. I am, again... So sorry that I have not responded to any of these because I didn't uh, see them until you had sent a couple of them. And then it was not long after that that I decided that we were going to do a housekeeping episode with emails and whatnot. And then we technically did it once before and then there were audio problems and then now we're doing this again. But um, I don't know if we have much anything else to say. Um, there is a last question here, and I won't go into depth, but to answer this question, which is your take on symbolism of color. Oh, yeah, duh. I will say this. We've talked, a bit about, we've talked a bit about the symbolism of names and stuff. We have. Absolute Destiny Apocalypse, which is an amazing song, and I love to get tired of it. I have two very diametrically opposed to it. And one of them is nothing in that song is actually relevant and it is all red herrings and um, Eva symbology style bullshit designed particularly to sound cool, set the mood, and do nothing else. It's not supposed to carry any actual weight. My other take is that actually the exact opposite. I'm not sure which is better. (laughs) If I ever figure it out, I will tell you. All right. Do we have anything else, Alice? I think we're good. Thank you for joining us for this filler episode of our podcast. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at UtanaCast. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do that at Impandanata. Where can they follow you on Twitter, Alice? They can follow me in the same place as all at Lyrewolf, L-Y-R-E-W-U-L. If you would like to email us, you can do that at imagineandutana at gmail.com. If you would like to find us on Tumblr, we are imagineandutana.tumblr.com. If you would like to support the show, you can do that over at Patreon. You can find the link to our Patreon anywhere that we can be found on the internet. Um, I feel like we have more things. Or maybe we don't. We have forgotten the things. We have forgotten our- I need to just make a list so I can make sure I do all of them every time. But well, I never think aside, about it until literally we're about to do it at the end of an episode. As an aside, it's a miracle that we've been able to 
the same intro and outro as long as for real we've been doing this for two years we just we just do it it's just wrote now it's, it's a just it's as familiar as saying it but not too familiar and not too not familiar <laughs> which um, is a good segue into we were wait what alice they just bought it which is a good segue into how we just we're totally that's totally who we are now you still broke up a little bit there i was making an incredibly stupid joke being bought we're... up by the McElroy fire oh say it again i said which is a good segue into the fact that we've been bought up by, um so sorry you're just gonna we'll keep i think the for some reason the recording doesn't want you to say McElroy. Okay, which is even it, spookier. It actually. literally, like, it keeps, like, Discord keeps cutting out at the exact same time every time you've said that same joke. Why does the internet hate me? It's really spooky. Anyway, thank you for listening, everyone. We love you. Revolutionize the world, everybody. See you later.